Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It is 1235 in Edmonton. This is Oilers Now, where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the Oilers... Uh, Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. All right. Uh, every Wednesday in Oilers Now, we hook up with Craig Simpson and not much better guest to get on a day like today, given the fact that he's broadcasting Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final between St. Louis and Boston with a broadcaster ye- uh, yesterday who was recognized by the uh, the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association, uh, Jim Houston, uh, receiving an award. But let's bring Craig Simpson aboard. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you? Good, good. First off, just a thought on uh, the recognition that uh, Jim Houston uh, got from uh, his yeah. peers. Yeah, I think it's very well deserved and uh, something that I was hoping would come in the near future. He's been doing it for over 30 years and been a real beacon of uh, excellence in our business. So uh, it's a great day for all of us who work with him and know him and are friends with him. And uh I know he's very proud to to have that honor. I think it's a real fitting honor to be just uh, uh, put towards him. It's great. It's a great day. It's interesting, right? Because the American guy is all worship Mike Emmerich. That's he's sort of their guy, and for yeah. a generation of Canadian guys, Jim Houston has sort of been the standard, the top guy for you know basically the last twenty years. All due respect to Bob Cole, who's a terrific broadcaster. But yep. Dave, I mean, how long now have you and uh, Jim? been doing Stanley Cup finals together uh finals together our first one together uh was 2009 my first one was 2008 but uh we've been uh, a team there since then so a lot of great memories a lot of great moments and uh you know we've been in the booth together since 1998 so uh, it's been a long time and uh consider him a really close friend and uh I just think it's an excellent choice. He he really is a guy who, uh, you know, a good example of starting from Fort St. John, B.C., and a good example for young broadcasters out there to just go try and do everything. Uh, You know, he did games at all different levels of of hockey. He did uh, baseball on a national level as well for many, many years. And I know he really enjoyed that experience. And from a hockey standpoint, he just continued to, you know, hone his craft and take every opportunity that was there for him and uh, has worked his way to this level. He, he is like a consummate pro, you know. He makes sure that he's so well prepared. He has a great sense of history and tradition about the game and uh, cares about it very much. So it, it's, a, it's a great day for all of us who uh, consider him a friend and a colleague. 1987, I was in Fort St. John that year. Yeah. Working okay. up north. There you go. Uh, it's very, you know, I got to tell you something. Uh, Northeastern BC is a lot like Alberta, philosophically. They got a lot of the same politics up there. Uh, Craig Simpson joining us. All right, Craig, we'll get, you know what, we'll get back to the series in a second. The show is called Oilers now. It's official. Yep. Dave Tippett is the head coach. Now that it's done, your thought on the combination of Ken Holland and Dave Tippett together? 
Yeah, I, I think it, it's not a real surprise. I think everybody was leaning that way. It's, it's interesting listening to Dave, you know, how uh, Ken was on his uh, list to be talking uh, about the Sa- Seattle expansion once Eisenman came back to Detroit, and it's interesting how things work their way out. And credit to the Seattle organization to allow Dave to make that move. You know, I think everyone who knows him knows that his passion is more as a coach than maybe being a manager. And so the opportunity to get back behind a bench with a, you know, really a chance with an experienced guy like Ken to try to overhaul this group. And uh, you've got lots to work with on that oiler bench in terms of trying to turn things around. So, you know, what I heard yesterday from him is the things that we've been talking about for weeks now of, you know, a, a guy coming in with a real plan of understanding how, you know, look at the two teams that are in the Stanley Cup final now, uh, how they play, you know, how they play with and without the puck. And, you know, Dave's uh, successes that he's had and, and even taking uh, Arizona, a team that didn't have near the offensive power that this Oiler team will have for him to deal with, but to get a team that can play coordinated defensively, play with a lot of energy and passion. And I think he's a, you know, he's a taskmaster in, in many senses, but he understands how teams have to play to have success at the game and at this level. Do you think he's the right coach for this team? Well, I guess we'll find out, but I, I think he's a guy that if I was looking at a short list, you know, you had to either make a decision with an experienced guy that understands right. uh, the nuances of, of the way that you have to play to be successful or go with a younger guy who doesn't have necessarily the NHL experience, but, uh, you know, is an up and comer. And uh, I guess from Ken's perspective, the experience probably won out. Uh, he knows a lot about Dave, has a history of seeing what Dave's done as a head coach. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's not a surprising choice, and the, the task now will be how quickly can they turn things around for this group. You know what I always find interesting in this situation? How long have you been saying the Oilers are not an offensive team? You've been, yeah, like for years. For years. You're like, they're <laughs> yeah. limited offensively, and you got to be able to defend. So the one thing he's done wherever he's gone, with the exception of a couple of years where his goaltenders, you know, save percentage, yeah. his teams, and, I mean, when you coached against them with Mac T, I know you guys had the utmost respect for Tippett's Dallas teams. Well, I, I always found as an assistant coach, part of your role is to pre-scout your next opponent. And you can always tell well-coached teams when you're doing the pre-scout to look at, you know, what's their forecheck, what's their stationary breakout, what's their face-off plays. When, when you can find that easily because there is such structure to the game, you know that the coach has done a good job in instilling that within the group. And so I, I always found in pre-scouting a, a Dave Tippett coach team, it was evident that there was real good uh, coordination in the way that they played and the way guys executed. And I, I think that's really been something that, for the most part, for this group, there's no there's no surprise in the fact that their failures not making the playoffs are, are not just because they couldn't score when they needed to. It's because they didn't have that kind of cohesive play. And that, that that's really, you know, when I watch these games during the Stanley Cup finals and even watching every, every game of the Boston Bruins, it's just evident how coordinated they are as a group and as a team. And everybody understands their role, plays their role, plays it with energy. And uh, 
I think Dave's teams in Arizona were a great example of that. And the problem when you don't have the offensive guns is that, you know, you can only get your horses to do, to run so hard and so, for so long. And if they don't have that talent, at the end of the day, the guys get worn out and, and can't keep that level of play up for the long haul. And I think that's probably what happened at the end in Arizona for him. But I don't think he's going to have that problem here in Edmonton. If you can get this team to be a much better team without the puck, you know, you have the skilled players at the top end who can pull guys along and make you a much better offensive team as well. Bit of a curveball here for you. Uh, Tobias Reeder, right? He didn't score a goal all season long. Yeah. But he had some successful seasons playing for Tippett. Yeah. The Oilers need speed on the wing. They need guys that can kill penalties. Now, Tobias was, to me, Craig, not in the guts of the game enough. Could you bring him back, knowing the history of Tippett? Yeah, I, I think it, it probably gives you a, uh, an opportunity to pause and think about it. And uh, I think like anything, Bob, uh, there's going to be some decisions that are made that aren't necessarily made out of, okay, what is the ultimate position or guy that we'd want? Because you're not necessarily going to get him. And I think you're going to have to make, uh, for Ken Holland anyways, some of those player personnel decisions that are, well, what's the best option? And he may end up being from a price standpoint uh, and an opportunity for, you know, a redo and press the reset button that he might end up being a fit. So I think there's always those certain guys that uh, coaches have connected with and have been able to, to bring more out of and you would have to take some considerable look at at some of that past and that history and say maybe there is a fit there and you know you're not going to get all the guys that would be on your wish list so i think you're going to have to make some of those decisions that are a bit of a flyer but a flyer with some history with the with the coach and an opportunity for the guy to have a bit of a revival assistants are important you've been there yourself in your career uh, when he was in uh, Phoenix initially, he took over Wayne Gretzky's staff and kept Dolph Samuelson to Dave Tippett and Doug yep. Solomon. Uh, the Oilers have got two former NHL head coaches that are here, Glenn Gullitson and Trent Yanni, and they got Manny Viveros, who was being chased by several teams last year. What do you envision happens uh, with Tippett and his staff? Could you see a former teammate of yours, Mark Lamb, resurfacing, or a guy like maybe Jim Playfair, who he's out with a history as well? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, Bob, because I, I do think it is really important for the coach to have that confidence. And, you know, some of it is history and personal relationships that you feel you work really well with somebody and you're aligned with the way you feel you should play. And I, I think that is important. You have to have that family trust uh, in your, your coaching staff. There's, there's so much pressure and there's, you know, anxious moments and there's things are going bad. You, you can't have any feeling at all that you're not aligned with the guys you're working with and that you're supporting each other and that, you, you know, you've got each other's back when, uh, when some of the things go wrong because you know, it's not going to be perfect. So I don't know his relationship with Glenn or with Trent or, or with Manny, so I, I can't really respond whether he is comfortable in that role. I, I think what he'll be looking at is saying, so where do I need my assistants to spend the majority of their time? I, I think defensively it's a really important role to have somebody who can communicate and uh, Im impose some you know real teaching lessons in the off days and on the ice and in practice and if he feels comfortable with those guys or that their direction is in the right place, then I wouldn't be surprised if he, ca if he kept them. But 
I think every coach would at least want somebody in their group that they have a real familiarity with and, and a real bond with. Craig Simpson joining us. Game two tonight, Stanley Cup final, St. Louis in Boston. Your thoughts on the opening game? I think it was fairly predictable, Bob. Uh, you know, St. Louis did a pretty good road job of their first period, not making too many mistakes. They they were, you know, I wouldn't say they were fast or played with more energy than Boston, but Boston looked a little rusty, as I think everybody expected. They didn't execute like they at the level that they have been through the playoffs. So I think St. Louis really missed the opportunity. They were handed a gift in the first minute of the second period with the turnover by Pasternak and you know all of a sudden you got a two goal lead and you're a minute into the second period I, I think they just sort of got a little shocked that uh, that goal a minute 16 seconds later kind of rattled them and I think it really did spur the the Bruins on and like I've seen so many times with Boston once they got into their physical game and again it was their fourth line that was the the catalyst for that it kind of got their bench rolling again and got them back into the style of play that's made them successful and i don't think that st louis really had the answer they they stopped skating they didn't get their legs they didn't get any offensive zone time i think i mentioned in the game if you look back to that san jose series how many times did you see Carlson on his rear end, Burns on his rear end, hard hits and good cycles down low to create offense. And St. Louis never was really able to get back to that game at all. And Boston got their game going. And that'll be the real challenge is that, you know, response game in game two. Can St. Louis do a better job of breaking out, get it into the offensive zone and get some sort of offensive structure back into their game? Craig, Patrice Bergeron is plus 188 in his last nine NHL seasons. <laughs> yeah. Eight 20-goal years, four 30-goal years. Is, he's got to be considered, if not the best, one of the three best two-way centers in the NHL. Is he a top 10 player in the league? Oh, I, I think, yeah, when you look at the entire game. You know, that that's what... Uh, he, to me, is the modern-day uh, Brian Trotche. You know, my favorite team growing up uh, from a playoff perspective was watching the Islanders in the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, I, I look at the way Brian Trotche played. He was an Art Ross winner, maybe a little more prolific offensively than Bergeron. But he's the glue that holds the team together. And he's the guy that you can rely on in every situation, like, whether it's a big power play or a five-on-three that you have to score, it goes through, you know, right from the face-off, Dodd Bergeron winning the draw. When it's a big penalty kill, he's the guy out there to settle it down and make the play. And so from that perspective, Bob, you know, there are, there are better players in the league uh, for different things, maybe offensively. But without question, if you had to build a franchise like this Boston team has, you know, what a – what a luxury it has having a guy like that that just plays the game the right way. He's a great teammate. He's an unselfish player, and he's so effective with and without the puck that uh, I think his value is just huge to this organization. Uh, Colton Pareko, Jay Bomeister are likely to get the matchup against the Bergeron-Pasternak-Marchand line. Um, Boston took that game over. I don't think you point to that pairing, but I know you watched a lot of how St. Louis and San Jose closed things out. Uh, are you surprised that bowmeister has been able to come back as far as he has from the hip surgery he had a year ago at this time? Yeah, I think the key for him is his legs. You're, you're right. Like it, when 
He's not an offensive guy, and I think that's probably the biggest frustration you would have out of Jay over the last even 10 years or so is, you know, you, you, when you see a guy so fluid and able to move the way he does with the big body that you would hope or expect maybe a little more offense, and that doesn't really come in his game, but he's a 23- to 24-minute guy every night that covers big ground. He's uh, physical when he has to be. And I, I think the key in this series for that pairing is, you know, to, to be able to not just defend against that line, but get a little bit of, uh, you know, start the play offensively. And that's what didn't happen in game one. They, they weren't able to make those clean breakouts where that mobility and maybe Pareko jumping up the ice because he can get involved and he can be a, a more of an offensive threat. And that's the challenge playing against that top line is when do you go? The risk-reward factor is always pretty high because, you know, you make that choice to jump up in the play. You better make a play because it's coming back the other end pretty quickly. And then that'll be a big challenge for that pairing uh, in this series. All right, Craig, you uh, won two Stanley Cups in years in which you beat Boston in the Stanley Cup final. And the Bruins seemingly always had Edmonton's number in the regular season. But you guys did pretty well in Beantown. In fact, in those years, if I recall off the top of my head, you never lost a game. The, yeah. The lights, no, did, it, the lights did go out once. What was <laughs> it about that matchup that was different in the playoffs than it was in the regular season, Craig? Well, I think back then, you remember the Garden was a different ice surface, right? There was a smaller one like the Buffalo Auditorium. There was only a few left, the uh, Chicago Stadium, Buffalo, and Boston. So in the regular season, when you go in and – game 43 and it's the third game in five nights you're not as prepared to play in that small quarters and uh, you know when we got to the Stanley Cup final you had time to prepare you had opportunity to to change your system because of the the ice surface and uh, I'll give you the stat exactly I remember it like it was yesterday we were 0-9 as a franchise against the Boston Bruins in the garden and we're 5-0 and in the Stanley Cup Final. And I just think it's that extra time to prepare and to feel comfortable in that kind of role. And, you know, when you get to the final, you you, you got a Western team that's only played Boston once here in Boston and twice all season long. You don't have that kind of familiarity. And that's the key to a Stanley Cup Final is to get it quickly, to get the rivalry, to understand your matchups. And the bottom line is you got to execute better. And I would say... Both coaches are were very upfront in saying, you know, Boston executed from the beginning of the second period on a lot better than St. Louis did in their first uh, go at it. Final question for you, Craig. So the night the lights went out uh, in 1988, and you guys had the hour-long delay, and then John Ziegler announces the game over. What were you guys' thoughts when you found out you're going back to Edmonton and really playing game four over again? Well, I can tell you mine uh, as a 21-year-old guy uh, the night before thinking you're going to win your first Stanley Cup. I just remember how frustrated I was and how devastated I was that tonight wasn't going to be the night. Uh, you know, I always found with every passing win, when you start the playoffs needing 16 wins and you all of a sudden get to 15 and there's only one to go, the, the anxiety and anxiousness just continues to pile on and I just remember feeling so frustrated that it didn't happen that night because I really felt, you know, we were charging back. It was 3-1 to one for them. We made it 3-2. And then when I tipped that one in yeah. to make it 3-3, three, three, you know, I, you knew our bench was like, it's happening. We're, we're not losing this game. And so 
to me, Bob, that was the biggest thing. And I, I can see it in the faces of the players now. You know, your, your anxiousness that your four wins for St. Louis away from a final and Boston now just three, it just grows and it builds on your bench. And you can really see that excitement and anticipation grow. So that, that to me was the biggest frustration. I, I always felt we were going to win back at home, but now you had two more nights of sleepless nights trying to think and dream about winning the Cup, and that was probably the most frustrating thing about it. And as we've discussed before, I believe you got sick before the game back at Edmonton. Yeah, I had the flu throwing up at 2 o'clock in the morning and all day. I couldn't even have a bowl of soup, but... Uh, yeah, there was nothing that was going to keep me from playing that game. I can't believe you guys thought you were going to win. You only went 16-2 and that year in the playoffs, Craig. Yeah, it was a pretty good run, and that was a pretty special group and a special team. And that's the power that I see with the Bruins now. And, uh, you know, they are a family. They, they love each other. They play for each other. The momentum that goes on when the fourth line goes out and gets three big hits, the next line comes out and jumps you in. That'll be the biggest challenge. I've always said for in these moments of the finals, you have to take away your opponent's will to win, and you have to show them that you're going to beat them, and you got to impose that in the game. And I, I'd be nervous right now for St. Louis. This is a statement game tonight that they have to somehow take that and plant a little seed of doubt in the Bruins because I, I just watching this team, that's the way I feel that they are as a group and as a family and that they're going to be pretty hard to knock that out of them. Craig, great stuff. We'll be watching tonight. All right, take care. You bet. That's Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. It is 12.56 in Edmonton. We are going to take a break, head off to Global News Weather Traffic Update uh, with Eileen Bell. Coming up, uh, we'll hear comments from Dave Tippett, Ken Holland, Sam Gagne. In the second hour of the show, we'll get to some texts and emails as well. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.